Welcome to Beers and Buckets, the only podcast that discusses basketball and brews at the same time. We are part of the Basketball Podcast Network, where you can find the latest on the NBA and the NCAA. I'm your host, Connor Caldwell. Normally, I'm joined by my uh, co-host, Dal Harmon, uh, but he is not available tonight, so we had to get this episode out to recap the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, which did not disappoint. So um, this is my first time doing an episode solo, so if you find this incredibly boring. I totally get it. You're hearing one person talk. I'm going to try and make it interesting. It's not going to be a super long episode, but here we go. So the first week, first week in the NCAA tournament did not disappoint. The upset dominoes were falling. We had Furman over uh, Virginia. That was the first upset of the tournament. Then we had Princeton beating Arizona, 15 seed Princeton over number two seed Arizona. Uh, this is the third year in the row, I believe that a 15 seed has upset a two seed. So that Continues to be the trend, it looks like, and it looks like it's taking over the uh, 12 seed, upsetting the 5 seed uh, trend that was there for a long time. Then, as if you if, couldn't get any crazier, uh, Fairleigh Dickinson upset, or, yeah, Fairleigh Dickinson upset Purdue. So, 16 seed upset the number one seeds. Only happened once before with UMBC taking over Virginia as well. Uh, I mean, incredible stuff there, but. This is actually, they were 20, I think minus 23 underdogs, uh, 23 point underdogs, something like that. So the biggest upset in NCAA history, we got to witness it. It was incredible. Um, Pitt over Iowa State. I know you're like, oh, well, Pitt's an ACC team. They were finished near the top of the ACC this year. Well, yeah, yeah. Iowa State upset Kansas. Uh, I forget who they lost to in the conference tournament, but Iowa State was on a roll. Um, so take that for what it's worth. Uh, it, there was 11 over six seeds, so we'll count that. And then the biggest upset besides the Fairleigh Dickinson upset, obviously, was Arkansas over Kansas. Kansas controlled that game. Uh, for the most part, Devo Davis just absolutely put the hogs on his back and uh, took the game over. And when he fouled out, Nick Smith did his job on defense that he needed to do. And, you know, hats off to uh, Arkansas in that, wig, in that win. And we can now refer to Kansas as Kansas because they won that matchup uh, fair and square. So we are. I'm going to move on to a beer review real quick before we talk anything else. I'm drinking Riot Juice tonight by Urban or Hidden Springs Ale Works out of Tampa, Florida. 5.5% ABV, zero IBUs, and uh, on untapped, it's a 4.12. So one of the higher-ranked beers. Uh, I've been drinking on it now, waiting for a little bit. Um, cool can, obviously. It's a sour ale with blackberry, lime, vanilla, and lactose. So um, one of the best sour ales I've ever had. Uh, the review, like I said, on untapped says so. It's one of the better beers that I've done on this podcast. If you don't like sour ales, I obviously don't drink it. But uh, if you don't mind a sour ale every once in a while, it's really good. It's more more crushable than normal sour ales I've done. Uh, still not crushable in the grand scheme of beer. Um, I would say it's probably like a 3 out of 10 on crushable scale. But it is still enjoyable to sip on, and that's what I'm doing right now. So, all right. Um, I mean, I've been sipping on it, but just the purple of the can... The fact that it's BlackBerry, the fact that Kentucky lost to Kansas State. I'm going to go Kansas State. Um, do I think that they are going to be a basketball powerhouse? No, but they have. it's pretty enjoyable, pretty good. Do I think they have what it takes to win the NCAA tournament this year? I, I do think so. Um, 
Marquise Noel is a very good ball, a ball player. Keontae Johnson is not going to have that poor of a game for the rest of the seat, for the rest of the tournament. They have what it takes, a hundred percent. Tomlin's a great big, un, very underrated in the grand scheme of things. Um, do I think are they a favorite? No, but uh, so I'm going to compare that to Kansas State. All right, so let's move on to the winners and losers of the tournament, uh, the first weekend. And when I say winners and losers, I mean more metaphorically than I mean literally. I'm not going to sit here and list every team that lost. That would be 32 teams of the first weekend. And then, what, another 16? It would be crazy. No, too much. Um, so we are going to talk uh, metaphorical winners and losers here. So winner in my book – well. Let's do winners first. It's more fun. Winners uh, of this tournament, first ter- weekend of the tournament, the SEC and the Big East. Uh, three teams each uh, made it to the Sweet 16. Um, yeah, that's just – that's really tough to do. Uh, so, yeah, shout-outs to the SEC for that. Um, home field apparel. They literally, just like last year with St. Peter's, they secured the licensing rights to Fairleigh Dickinson University within like two hours of FDU upsetting Purdue. So shout outs to Homefield for doing their thing. Uh, this is not an ad, uh, but Homefield, if you're listening, please, we'd love for you to sponsor the Beers and Buckets podcast. Um, so yeah, True TV. I mean, whenever, whenever. When else do you watch True TV? Like never, right? So uh, tournament always gives you an opportunity to watch one of the worst stations on cable. But there you go. They are a winner this weekend. Excuse me. I um, hate doing this. Um, and then Tobin Anderson. He probably could leave Fairleigh Dickinson. There's very much on the table um, that he could leave there. And, you know, like he's a, he's a quality coach. He seems like a morally good guy. Um, I really do hope he doesn't leave. I hope they invest all the money that they can into the basketball program there. I hope he gets a good booster program. And I hope he builds uh, Fairleigh Dickinson into um, Gonzaga 2.0, meaning a one-bid, often one-bid conference Um small conference, but he's the one that's constantly winning their conference tournament, constantly getting that one bid and then eventually making runs into the tournament deeper. And that would be incredible to see that he seems like he deserves it all. And yeah, he seems like an awesome guy all around. Um, and then we have, uh, sorry, I'm adding more to my notes. We have the losers of the tournament this weekend. Let's start out. And I said, just like with the winners, more metaphorical losers. So Matt Painter and Tony Bennett, while they literally lost, they are just continuing to become losers. Uh, At least Tony Bennett has his title. But Matt Painter, man, you lost to UNT in 2021. You lose to St. Peter's last year, uh, 2022. And then obviously you lose to... uh, FDU in 2023, the trend continues. Uh, it sucks. It sucks. I, I feel for Purdue fans, um, but next year it's a make or break year, I think, for Painter because you could have all the best offs or regular seasons, but it, it matters what you do in March. You get remember what you do in March. No one's going to remember this team other than being this the highest upset team of all time. 
and his buddy Tony Bennett can relate to that, having experienced that. So, like, what are the odds that Purdue comes back next year and wins the tournament? I mean, in this scenario, very high. Um, we don't know, obviously, what the actual odds are. But um, you know, Matt Painter could return that team, that Purdue team upset because of the guard play, because FDU took advantage of basically everyone that wasn't Zach Eady and making them try to beat them, and it worked. Um, no one really stepped up to beat them. So Purdue could return every single one of their players, including Zach Eady, and could run the table next year very well. could be just like Virginia did in 2019. Um, I'm not going to put money on that, but, yeah, there we go. Uh, another loser of the tournament this weekend is modern offenses conversations. So look, we know the old adage, there's – a hundred ways to skin a cat, more than one ways to skin a cat, whatever. There's more than one way to win a basketball game, especially a college basketball game. You could do it by shooting a bunch of threes and high percentage twos. You could do it by hitting long twos. You could do it by having a really good defense and just getting transition buckets. There's so many ways to win a college basketball game. So let's stop the narrative that you can only win by shooting a bunch of threes and close twos. Um, you want the right people taking the right shots. That is my, that was my last call, but um, yeah, I'll, I'll save it for something else. Um, right. People taking the right shots. So yeah. Um, and then the final losers to me, uh, the ACC and big 10. Um, you had multiple bids. I think ACC has one left um, at Big Ten and Michigan State as well. So it's that's tough. Um, the SEC easily could have been in this. They had some teams step up, obviously. Last year, SEC and Big Ten were pretty much the same amount of bids and I think the same amount of people advancing to the second weekend of the tournament. Um, ACC last year obviously was a little underrated going in the tournament, but this year not so much the case. Miami looking very strong, though. Um so yeah, I, we'll we'll see what what goes from there. But yeah, and then we have one that is a very much standout winner and loser, uh, winner and loser together, and that's the NCAA division transitioning rules. This is a loser because Merrimack won the Northwest Conference tournament, which is a one big conference, um, but could not accept the NCAA tournament bid due to transitioning rules. They have to sit out a year or two or something like that. However, it is also a winner, This these rules are, because we don't get Fairleigh Dickinson giving us the biggest upset in tournament history over Purdue as a result. So with that said, thank you and screw you, NCAA transitioning rules. Um because you got to feel for Mary Mac. Mary Mac obviously won their conference. They won their conference tournament. They probably feel robbed, but you know what? It's poetic justice. They probably feel like they could have upset Purdue. And I wouldn't, just like Tobin said, 99 times out of a hundred, they probably, Purdue probably wins that game, but they got the one time. So incredible, incredible stuff. So let's take a break. We will go to our sponsor and we'll come right back. Ready for the underdogs, the upsets, and the unbelievable action from DraftKings Sportsbook? The biggest tournament in college basketball is here. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 in college hoops and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. The plus for a limited time, all customers can score a no-sweat bet during round one and two of the tournament. Go to the app, opt-in, and place a no-sweat bet this weekend 
If it doesn't hit, you'll get a bonus back up to $10. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code TBPN. New customers bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Win or lose. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. I'm going to do a buy, sell, hold. Um, I'm going to go buy game here, though, for the Sweet 16. Um, and then we'll see what, what what goes on through Elite Eight. But um, buy game here. So we'll start with Thursday's first game. with Kansas State taking on uh, Michigan State. Ah. Uh, I think I'm going to sell Michigan State. It's probably going to come back to bite me in the butt. But I just I don't love the matchup for them. I think I think Marquise Noel and Keontae Johnson are significantly better players than anyone on Michigan State at this moment. And I still thought that Kentucky was going to beat Kansas State. And I still think nine times out of ten, probably Kentucky can and should beat uh, Kansas State. Uh, with that said, they got the one, probably two times they would win. I don't know. Homer and me as a Kentucky fan, obviously. But uh, it's tough. I, I do think Kentucky, or I think Kansas State has better guards. And I think Jerome Tang is a very good coach. Um, but there's a reason Izzo has made like 23, or no, 15 Sweet 16s. So you can't luck your way into that. He does it by overcoaching. So I think I'm going to sell Michigan State. I'm going to hold my stock in Kansas State. And also shouts to – never mind, I'll save it for the last call. Um, UConn and Arkansas. This is also another tough matchup. I mean, every matchup in the in this Sweet 16 is going to be tough, but this is a very tough one. You have the best center. I think well, top top five, maybe top ten center in Adama Sanogo. For UConn, you have Tristan Newton. You have players that are balling for UConn. But then you have Arkansas, who has the grit, who has the talent, who has the length, and they want to speed things up. Iona gave UConn a tough first half. UConn just came out and decided they were just going to beat them with athleticism, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, Arkansas just played so hard against Kansas. I think they gave it almost everything they got. They got zero, almost nothing out of Nick Smith and Anthony Black. Um if those guys show up, I'm, I'm saying Arkansas, uh, but it's all dependent on those two guys showing up for them. So I'm going to hold on UConn. I'm going to, I'll gamble a little bit. I'll buy on Arkansas. So um, yeah, so give me, give me the hogs here. But again, it all depends on which Nick Smith Jr. shows up, which Anthony Black shows up. Those guys are rolling then Arkansas can throw a wave of centers at Adama Sanogo with five fouls and be fine. Um, I'd, I'd like I'd like the overall talent for Arkansas in this matchup more. Um, okay, so four seed Tennessee and number nine Florida Atlantic. This is a interesting matchup. I think Florida Atlantic has the significantly better uh, offense um, in here. And let's look at their Ken Palm matchup. Their Ken Palm saying. Tennessee by four. Um, Tennessee is the number one defense in Ken Palm. FAU has a 30 offense, and then Tennessee's offense 60 at FAU is 35. So FAU is more balanced than uh, overall. 
Um, Tennessee is really good at limiting effective field goals, but that's what one of the strengths for FAU is 25 there. Um, probably going to go with defense. I think defense travels FAU probably it's tough. Um, John L Davis, very, very good player. He's doing stuff that hasn't been done since the eighties in the tournament. Um, Elijah Martin also very, very strong for them. Their guards are significantly better. Um, no, this is not a jab at Viscovi or uh, Tyreek Key or you know whatever. Um, I do like the guard play for FAU. Give me the upset here. I'm going to buy stock on FAU and I'm going to sell on Tennessee. Actually, I'm going to hold on Tennessee because I still think they could pull off the upset here. Um, okay, then we have UCLA and Gonzaga. This is going to be. A very, very, very fun game. A defensive defensive game is not what I would describe this game. Uh, it's going to be high scoring, high pace. Uh, very probably very similar to the UCLA Arizona game that we saw in the Pac-12 Conference Tournament um, Championship. There, Kim Palm likes uh, Gonzaga or likes UCLA in this one, and I. I I think they're a deeper team. I think the uh, the arrival of Amari Bailey has been great for them. Um, it kind of depends on which Julian Strother shows up. He didn't have a great game. Him and Anton Watson did not have good games against TCU. Um, it was Rasier and obviously Drew Timmy. Uh, Hami Hawkes doing Hami Hawkes things. Tiger Campbell has definitely stepped up in consistency. Um, I don't know. This is this is a tough one. I kind of want to hold on both of these. This seems like a coin flip of a game. Um, I don't think one is significantly better than the other. Uh, if you hate both of these teams, and you're the you're a winner here because only one gets to advance. So there you go. Uh, but I'm going to hold on both these teams. I, I like both of these teams. Uh, the, their roster makeup. I like what they're doing. Um, so it's going to be fun. Um, but I'm going to hold on both. I'm not going to buy on either because I don't want that that would instill some doubt in either team. I think it's just a really weird matchup all around. Should be fun though. All right. Friday. I'm going to buy on Bama. Um, even though I don't support how they're running things in the program and shout out to Nick Saban for calling out, uh, his coworker there, uh, in Nate Oates on how to address issues within the program, uh, by saying there's no, wrong place or wrong time you you all make choices and you have to be held accountable for your choices that is 100% correct and either way we're not here to talk about morality we're here to talk about basketball um I'd like Bama in this in this matchup here I think San Diego State I don't trust their offense um enough to outscore Bama and uh, their defense is strong but I don't think it's strong enough where I mean shoot Bama scored 90 plus the other day with Miller scoring zero points, um, which is insane that we are talking about a top, potentially top three to top five pick scoring zero points late this late in the season. But here we are, and it's 2023. Who knows? Um, so, yeah, give me Bama on this one. Goodbye on that. Going to sell on San Diego State. <clears throat> Excuse me. Houston and Miami, this is another incredibly fun matchup. Um, Houston, probably the best defense in 
I mean, we, I guess what I said, uh, Tennessee had the best defense, but I think, I think overall Houston has, is the best, uh, the best, most balanced team, <coughs> excuse me, in the tournament here. And, uh, I mean, it all starts with Jairus Walker and what he's doing. Um, Marcus Sasser, incredible guard. So you have just really, really, really strong roster there and good coaching and Kelvin Sampson. But my gosh, Isaiah Wong went off the other night against Indiana. So um, I just want to know who on Houston stops Isaiah Wong. Um, and if he if he gets stopped, who is stopping Nigel Pack or Norchad Amir? Um, I do like Jairus Walker against Norchad. Not that I think Jairus Walker will be covering him necessarily. Um, Ken Palm likes the, like Houston, obviously. Um it would probably be Juwan Roberts covering Norchad or well, Jairus Walker. That's the thing about Houston, though, is they don't have a guy that's over 6'8", but they're doing this. They have incredible length, it seems like, just because of how fast they are in defense. Um, Norchad is 6'7", though, so I guess Houston or Miami only has a guy that's 6'9". So looking at this, uh, who stops Isaiah Wong? Who stops – if you stop him, then who stops Nigel Pack? Um, Marcus Sasser, great guard. I don't think he's stopping Isaiah Wong. He's, you know, Traymond Mark might be able to do or, or Jawan Roberts. Um, so I'm going to hold on both of these teams because I think both of them are playing some of the best basketball we've seen, uh, especially Miami, uh, that they just absolutely dismantled Indiana. Um, so yeah. And then we have Creighton and Princeton. This Creighton team is hot. I'm buying all the stock. This is no offense to Princeton. I think your Cinderella clock strikes midnight here. The only thing I could see happening for Princeton and what they're doing right now shouldn't be understated. Um, but they are they are giving fits on defense, and their defense ranks 96 in Ken Palm and uh, adjusted efficiency. Obviously, they're Offense is a hundred, so I don't. They are giving fits. They gave Arizona fits, who was one of the better offenses in the country. Um, so I, I don't know what to make of this, um, but there are so many threats to score the ball on Creighton's team right now. I mean, I list you list everyone like Ryan Nemhard is playing amazing basketball right now. Baylor Shireman can get a bucket anytime. Trey Alexander anytime. Arthur Kaluma. Definitely a bucket. And then obviously Kalkbrenner, like there's not one person that is over six nine on Prince's team. It's Keyshawn Kelman, six nine. Uh Tosan Evabon Eva Eva Boom I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's six eight. After that, everybody's six six or or lower. <coughs> so Kalkbrenner should be able to feast on this, no problem. Um I'm going to buy Prince or buy and create and sell on Princeton here. And then we have the last game, Texas and Xavier. Both these teams hot. Rodney Terry, aka uh Gus Spring. Um I don't know. Um I I think this is where Texas comes to an end. I think they, I think Xavier, Xavier scored on Pitt, which Pitt stopped Iowa State from scoring. Pitt stopped, uh, which is not super hard, but Mississippi State from scoring. Uh, they were able to score on a very tough Mississippi State defense. Um, they were able to score on a very tough Iowa State defense. Um, 
So I, I don't know. Xavier, I like I like Xavier in this matchup. I think I'm going to hold because I've already bought a little bit more stock in them than I should. Uh, I'm going to hold on Texas too. So we shall see. I don't know if this answers any questions that you guys have on teams, but here we are. So let's move on to Cinderella's path. Um, so the keys for either Princeton or FAU success do, can they continue the magic or the clock strike midnight this weekend? Um, like I said, I think Princeton just running into the wrong team at the wrong time. Creighton's red hot. Um, despite losing, what, six straight or seven straight earlier in the season, they have, they have found their groove. Um, I just, like, again, I don't know. For Princeton to win this game, they have to make sure that the change of venue just stifles Creighton shooting, which, I mean, teams that shoot the ball like this can't run into a cold night. Um, I don't know. I, I just don't see it. But the key for Princeton there is to make Creighton take tough shots, and if they happen to make them, they happen to make them. But that is the key there. And then after that, we'll have to see. But continue what you're doing offensively. I mean, you scored 20 on uh, on Missouri. Not that Missouri has a stout offense, but they limited a Missouri offense that is very, very tough offense. So it's not like this isn't the first time that Princeton is seeing a, a good offense. Um, Missouri has a good offense this season. So shout out to Dennis Gates there. Um, so that that's the biggest thing is continue to basically roll out your game plan for Missouri and you should be fine, except for Missouri doesn't have a um, Ryan Kalkbrenner on their team that can just absolutely tear you up inside as well. Um, FAU, uh, FAU, if you wanted to, let's see. I want to see what Ken Palm is saying about this team. <sighs> What are they saying here? So, I mean, they're not. They're getting really good buckets, like we said. They're limiting good buckets. This is tough. Um, Tennessee, I mean, we've seen Kentucky beat Tennessee twice this season. I think FAU's offense, for all intents and purposes, is better than Kentucky's. So we see Tennessee have struggled against a mediocre offense. FAU is a better offense. It's just which, uh, which person for Tennessee is going to show up, right? Um, Tennessee, Zakai Ziegler, obviously out. Nakamwa, he's absolutely emerged for them right now um, in this tournament. So if FAU has someone that could check him or maybe he has a poor game, that's the key to making it. Um, do I think it could happen? Sure. Um, Am I going to put money on it? No. Um, so, yeah, that is our Cinderella's path. And then we will – I'm not going to talk Elite Eight because if you make it to the Elite Eight, sure, but I don't want to spend that time talking about it. So, um, typically, I mean, for a lot of teams now, for at least the rest of college basketball minus these 16 teams, um, we are in the off season. We have coaching carousels. You have – players entering the portal. So we're going to talk, I'm going to talk about some of the recent hires, recent findings on the coaching carousel here. So we have today, it was announced and this is t- uh, Monday as we record um, Georgetown hired Ed Cooley. Weirdest thing was that he listed the Zillow listing for his house in 
Rhode Island leaked before the official signing was announced. So odd. Um, you feel for Georgetown or for Providence in this scenario because uh, if they did that, they could at least made a run. If they had known a little bit sooner, probably they could at least made a run for Rick Pitino, a former coach for Providence there who had, who had taken them, I think to a sweet 16, maybe elite eight, maybe even final four. I, I can't remember. I was not alive um, when that happened, but either way, uh, so that leads us to our next point there. You feel for Providence because St. John's officially announced today they hired Rick Pitino to a six-year contract. Uh, the 70-year-old coach is getting a six-year contract. Incredibly odd. Um, the average male life expectancy is 74 and a half years. But we know that Rick Pitino is far from average. Um so he, who knows? Uh, I just think it's, uh, Iona was a perfect place for him to live out his career and then retire. Uh, but he still has more gas in the tank, obviously. Probably tired of getting beat up on and can't recruit to one Iona in New York. So going to St. John's there, uh, sure, why not? Um, still think recruiting is going to be tough. Um, and he's not inheriting an, an overwhelmingly talented roster. Uh, but the transfer portal is very much a thing, so we'll see. So, yeah, um, Syracuse, Audrey Autry, uh, Adrian Autry, excuse me, uh, Adrian Autry hired. These former player hires are weird. I feel like it might be the right hire, but he might not be the right coach or the right fit. Uh, my issue with the hiring is that you know, Autry has been on staff since 2011. so. What is he going to do differently? And you know, Arizona's definitely just going to roll out that, or not Arizona, wow. Syracuse is going to roll out that zone. And you're going to be like, wow, what, what is he doing differently? The only thing I can think of is there's not going to be any nepotism uh, with his children, maybe. And uh, I don't know. The, the, it's off to a good start, though, uh, at least with recruiting wise. Uh, he got JJ Starling uh, from uh, from Notre Dame there, so or not Notre Dame uh, from Georgia Tech. So so we'll see um, if Judah Mintz decides to stay in college, then that would be a nasty pairing of guards. But uh, who knows? I've seen some draft boards with Judah Mintz going. He needs to develop a shot. Having somebody like JJ Starling that could take some ball handling roles away. He could focus on being more of a catch-and-shoot player or developing that at least. That would be great for him. But we'll save Portal Talk for a little bit. Uh, the next one, Ole Miss hiring Chris Beard. We know Ole Miss standards for morality have always been questionable. I mean, they have Lane Kiffin as their football coach. So, uh, I mean, technically, technically, Chris Beard was not charged with anything. It was dropped. Still don't love that as the uh, as optics goes, uh, but the SEC just gets stronger. Um, Chris Beard's going to do Chris Beard things. He's a good coach. He's a good recruiter. Um, so do I think he has national championship potential at Ole Miss? Probably not, um, but he probably will be there for two, three years, and then work his way maybe to a Tennessee or <clears throat> to another bigger school. So we'll see. Georgia Tech hired Damon Stoudemore. 
He's got head coaching experience at Pacific for five years. He has NBA staff experience with the Celtics. This is a good hire. I uh, don't know how we will do recruiting um, wise. I mean, it'd be hard to recruit, I think, to Georgia Tech, but maybe not. <coughs> so we'll see. Um, but as far as an optics standpoint, this is a great hire for them. Uh, the expectation, I think, is low after going with seven years with Pastner. Um, I mean, you got to be patient at this point if you're Georgia Tech, you might as well. You got a new coach, so it's not like he's feeding old promises. Um, so, yeah. The, the strangest one, the one I was most surprised on making this list, uh, U.S. have hired Mike Bray. And I'm talking not San Francisco, but South Florida. Mike Bray, I, hands up, I thought he was retiring. Um, I guess I never listened to his press conferences or you know paid attention to what was being said. I just assumed he was retiring because he's in his 60s. And he's has a boatload of money, might as well. Um, but his job is not getting any easier at USF. I mean, if he struggled to recruit at Notre Dame, uh, he struggled to get players to come to the ACC. Uh, it's going to be even harder to do so in the American at USF uh, in Tampa, Florida. I don't know. Um, there is no tradition of basketball or any sport at USF, unfortunately. Uh, I myself have gone to a few USF basketball games, a handful of USF football games. Uh, you know, it's just there's no tradition there. Um, so I guess horns up for Mike Bray, but we shall see how long he stays there in the end of his career. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. And the last one is Stephen Lutz from uh, Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. Uh, he's been hired by Western Kentucky. Uh, Rick Strasberry is out. Um, so Cinderella teams love or team coaches love to leave their schools immediately following a tournament appearance. Uh, this is not quite a lateral move. It's a slight, slight step up, I think, from Corpus Christi there. But it's not like he's going to be a world beater at Western Kentucky. Again, inheriting a somewhat weird conference roster um weird situation all around so i don't know what we shall see but um steve lutz i mean you you make you make the tournament again let's say make it two years in a row you'll get hired somewhere else uh you break that contract with western kentucky and then head on to bigger and better things then the hilltoppers have to offer so all right let's talk some portal um, I mentioned a few names this week uh, to enter the portal now that some of these team seasons have ended. Literally, the biggest names we'll talk about, literally the biggest name that we're going to talk about right now is Eddie Lampkin, and it's not the name that's big. He's just literally the biggest guy to enter the portal, I think. Um, but it is quite odd that he, he is leaving. He left before uh, TCU played a basketball game in the tournament. Um, so don't know what happened there. Um, I think he could easily, I've seen rumors, I've seen whatever, if not the real John Rothstein, but, you know, fake John Rothstein accounts saying that Lampkin is going to make his move over to, um, Georgetown, uh, there with Ed Cooley. I could see it. I don't know, but that, that is an option. Then we have Jared Bynum um, from Providence. I would imagine he's going to stick around and maybe head to Georgetown there. 
to pair up with his old coach uh, Ed Cooley. But I don't know. Uh, this this is a this is a quality guard. Um, somebody that is tough, makes tough shots, uh, gets to the basket, is really a hound on defense and cutting off the passing lane. So. Um, I think any team would be lucky to have him. Do I think you're getting a world beater? No, but you're getting a solid player um, that could probably make maybe get out of the Big East and do some big things. So we'll see. Let me have Fardaz Amik. Uh, I think that's how you pronounce it. I never know how to pronounce his last name, but Fardaz was originally you know from that. Uh, I think is uh, Arkansas State, right? I, I can't remember what team he was before, but I know he was at Texas Tech this past season. And there was rumors of him entering the portal in December, and then he withdrew. And then he entered it again right after, right, right before the Big Twelve tournament started, or maybe right after their exit, maybe like a few hours after their exit. Um, Fardaz, I mean, for what he had to go through and went through injury, came back, didn't even though he wasn't totally ready from what I've heard and the way that Mark Adams ran the program and what I've heard about it. Sure. That checks out. So um, I think Fardaz off to bigger and better things. Uh, Don't know. I think he probably needs to go to somewhat in the PAC 12 or just maybe get out of the big 12, honestly, Uh, maybe go to the big East there. Um, I don't know. St. John's is looking for players, obviously. Rick Pitino and Fardos would be fun. So we'll see. But yeah. All right. Chris Ledlam, great player. Great, uh, great guy from uh, Harvard, I believe. Um, could be, could be a nice, nice pickup for any team. You're getting a smart guy, obviously, if you're going to Harvard. <laughs> this is the laziest I think I've done on this. I got to find his page. Um, Chris Ledlam from Harvard. I mean, he was a four-star uh, in the transfer, small forward, 6'6", 200 pounds. Um, I mean, he's a, a solid player. He's a junior, so you, you can get him for another season there. Uh, Kentucky reached out to him, according to Jack Pilgrim. Would be a good uh, four for them, so we'll see. Sky Clark uh, left the team, left Illinois in – what, January? Maybe it's December or January. So obviously we knew he would be transferring. He's not really ready for the NBA yet. Uh, using his one-time transfer, no questions asked kind of deal. Committed to Louisville. So shout-outs to Kenny Payne for getting his guy back because Kenny Payne, I'm sure, was on the helping him rec- recruit originally to Kentucky. Um, would be a solid guard for, for Louisville and considerably better than what they had this past season, which they really didn't have a guard. So um, getting Sky Clark is a great thing. Louisville doing, getting some big players. So, yeah. Um, Khalif Battle. Khalif Battle from uh, Temple. Uh, notable Houston killer there. Redshirt sophomore, 6'5", 180. Um, shooting guard. He's got some some nil battle or <laughs> nil nil money uh, potential just with his name alone, last name being Battle. Um, trying to think where I'm trying to see who who had him reach out, but I'm not seeing anything. I saw it before. I'm sorry, this is terrible podcasting, but um, it is what it is. Uh, yeah, he's going to be a solid player. Like I said, redshirt sophomore. So you get two years out of him, maybe three, um, if he continues. So cool name, cool NIL possibilities there with his name. Uh, solid player all around. Again, 
was a big part of beating uh, Houston there and earlier in the season. So one to watch for. And the last name that I'll mention, Hansel Emanuel leaving Northwestern State. Um, there's going to be a lot of cool opportunities for him. I know Memphis originally reached out to him and Penny had uh, recruited him. He ultimately landed at Northwestern State. I don't know exactly why he is leaving. Um, I mean, obviously we'll never know why players leave, but I mean, sometimes it's, it's listed. Sometimes it's not. Um, but yeah, uh, would love to see him go to Seton Hall. I think Shaheen Holloway would would do great with him. Um, if this is true, yeah, yeah, it is six hours ago. So would love him to be a pirate. Um, but yeah, I think there's plenty of other people that can uh, develop him. Um, so yeah, there we go. Um, this has been a weird episode doing it by myself, but I appreciate you guys listening if you made it this far. And again, next week we'll be back recapping the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight, talking more transfer, talking more coaching, probably talking more whatever by so hold. Um, but yeah, this has been super fun. So I appreciate you guys listening again. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Beers and Buckets Pod. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, hit that like button, hit that share button. Uh, make sure you do that. And then leave a review of this episode, share this episode, retweet it. And then, yeah, check out the Basketball Podcast Network for more shows like this one. You can follow them on Twitter at HoopsPodNet. You can follow me on Twitter at Connor J. Caldwell. at C-O-N-N-E-R-J Caldwell. And then you can follow Dal, even though he's not here, uh, at do underscore well Harmon. Um, so, yeah, this has been the bottom line. Just Connor said so. You guys have a fantastic week. Enjoy this upcoming uh, weekend of college basketball and take it in. We've got two weeks left, guys, and then we'll be in the full off-season swing of things. So appreciate it. You guys have a fantastic. Week.